Here's the encouragement ahead of us today on Grow in Grace. You see, betrayal, failure, denial are not bigger than God. God is able to take all those things in your life and mine and use them for good. Zion, now filled with hands and in this place got to dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing Son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, Let this world know me by your love. Failed the Lord recently? Or maybe you've denied or betrayed Him, like the people we'll meet in our story today on Grow in Grace. You know, even still, God can and will forgive you if you turn to Him in faith. Isn't that great? No matter how far we've strayed, we're not beyond God's reach. But sadly, not everyone will receive God's grace and forgiveness, and that was Judas. As we turn back to John 13, we'll recall his story. Here's Pastor Ed Ray. Verse 23, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, on his chest, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. John, the writer of this gospel, is talking about himself. He's saying he knew that Jesus loved him. He's going to use that phrase four times through the rest of this book. He was the disciple, the apostle, the one whom Jesus loved. Do you know that about yourself? Do you trust? Do you believe? Do you know that Jesus loves you? That's what he's saying. Well, I know he loves the whole world, but does he love you? John is confident about that. I grew up in a church where that would sound arrogant. You know, they'd say, well, you just don't know. Yeah, God loves you because he loves the birds and the bees and everything else. But you can't really know. John said, I write these things that you may know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and believing you might have eternal life. God wants us to know that. That's not being arrogant. That's trusting the promise of God. God's promise is that if you would believe, believe, then you would have eternal life. Well, so the one who knew that Jesus loved him, I pray you're there this morning, verse 24, Simon Peter therefore mentioned, beckons to John to ask him who it was of whom he spoke. I think this is hilarious. Peter is always, you know, in the middle of stirring things up, and he's evidently right across from John. You know, John's on Jesus' right, assuming Jesus is right-handed. They're, they're at this low table, right? Triclinium. He's leaning on their left shoulder, and they're eating, and their feet are out this way. And John's right here next to him, so he can just go and put his head right on Jesus' chest. Peter's across from him. He's going, ask him, who is it? <laughs> he's doing hand signs, flashing gang signs to him, trying to get him to tell <laughs> Maybe not. I'm trying to get him to ask Jesus, verse 25, then leaning back on Jesus' breast, John, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Well, evidently he said it so quietly 
that nobody else at the table heard it, but Jesus did. He answered, it is he whom I shall give a piece of bread. When I have dipped it, and having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, there's a lot here in that culture. In that culture, you're eating without utensils, and you use a piece of bread to pick up something called the sop. It, it's still at Passover meals. It's like ground up dates and raisins and apples, and, and you take a piece of bread and dip into it. Think nachos, okay? <laughs> but it's a very endearing thing. It's a statement of friendship, of intimacy, to take it and hand it to someone. Because what you're saying is, we are together in this. We're eating together, we're sharing life. We're having fellowship with one another. So Jesus is still trying to reach Judas, even though the moment of turning has come. And he hands it to Judas as a sign. And when he did it, Jesus said to him, verse 27, after the piece of bread, then Jesus said, what you do, do quickly. And Satan had entered him. That's a moment that must have been chilling. Then Jesus looked into the eyes of Judas and saw the eyes of Satan looking back. Well, no one at the table knew why Jesus said that to him. They didn't understand. They still didn't get it. They had no clue. For some thought, verse 29, because Judas had the money bought, that Jesus said, go buy those things that we need for the feast, meaning the Passover feast. This is why I think this is the, the day of preparation, the day before the Passover, and Jesus actually is crucified on the Passover, the Passover lamb. So they thought he was going to go buy some things for the, the meal the next day, or that he should go give something to the poor because he had the money box. Well, they didn't hear Jesus' statement to John, obviously. And having received the piece of bread, he went out immediately, and it was night. Very interesting that John would add that little bit there. It was dark already. Dark. That is a dark thing. Black. Betrayal. Maybe some of you this morning know what that is. There's betrayal that comes in all different sizes and shapes. Probably the most devastating is your spouse who's betrayed you and gone off with someone else. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a child, grandchild, grandparent, close friend. It touches everyone, at least at some level in life. This is a study in that, betrayal. What do you do with betrayal? Hurt comes sometimes unintentionally. The other person didn't really even mean to hurt you, but it was you or them, and they threw you under the bus, that kind of a thing. It's even more painful when you know it's intentional. What do you do with it? Well, you get angry, and you hold on to it, and you think terrible things about them for the rest of your life. You become crippled by that lack of forgiveness in your life and become sick. Oh, there's a lot of disease states that are exacerbated by unforgiveness and stress in your life. This is a picture of letting it go. Judas is history's greatest example of lost opportunity. So close. He's with Jesus for three and a half years, and he never gave away his heart. He never came all the way. He's the greatest example of spiritual betrayal, the need for examination of our own lives, the dangers of loving stuff, material things, money, 
more than spiritual things. Focusing on the here and now instead of the realities of eternity that are coming. Judas also is living proof of the patience and the mercy and the grace of God. Jesus would actually still call him friend when he came and betrayed him with a kiss in the garden. But Judas is also a picture of the sovereignty of God. No person can stop God's work in your life because of betrayal. Don't let that betrayal handicap you for the rest of your life. Let it go and move on. Eternity is in the balance. So that's betrayal. Now, here's love. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, now, okay, now it's done. Here's the moment. Here's the fulcrum. Here's the tipping point. Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. Let me read the next verse because there's a lot of glory here. If God has glorified him, God will glorify him himself and glorify him immediately. Okay, five glories here. What's up with the glory? Glory is a difficult word to get your mind around. In this case, here, it's the weight, it's the expression, it's the revealing, it's the display, that's what glory means, of the character of God. That it's going to be obvious to all of them who God is, who Jesus is as God the Son, who God the Father is, because of something called the cross, a very ignoble image. Somebody dying, capital punishment, think of a modern-day electric chair or a gallows. That's what that was to them. But God is going to show his glory, display, reveal his heart to the world on a cross. Then he uses this very endearing term, verse 33, little children, my children, I will be with you but a little while longer. You will seek me, you'll be looking for me. And as I said to the Jews where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say the same to you. I'm leaving. I'm going to leave. And Peter grabs a hold of that and doesn't hear anything else Jesus said. He's locked into that. A new commandment. Because I'm going, there's something I want to tell you. And it's kind of a famous verse. A new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another as I have loved you, that you also would love one another. A new commandment. Now, when you take this apart, that's a little confusing because this is an old commandment to love one another. It's in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus said to the rich young ruler when he came. What's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So that law, if you will, was already in place. What's new about it? What's new about it is as I have loved you. Now, some of your translations say since. That's a better translation of the word that's here as as. Since I have loved you, then you can love one another. It's a clause. It's a cause and effect clause. Because I have loved you and made my love available to you, I can change the hardest heart and give you the ability to love other people. You see, it's not New Year's resolutions. This is not one of those, I just need to love people harder, doggone it. No, no, I need to love Jesus more. I need to spend more time with him because being in his presence will make me love other people. That's what the promise is. You're listening to a study in John 13 on Grow in Grace with our teacher, Pastor Ed Ray. 
Here he is with the second half of our message. Example, magnets. You know, little magnets we play with them as kids. They run electric motors. They're really important. They have steel and sulfur and cobalt and copper and all sorts of interesting chromium things in them. But you, when you're making them, if, while they're hot, if you put a slight charge at Orient, we won't go into all the science. So let's just say you have a magnet. <laughs> Sorry, my brain goes there a thousand different ways. You have a magnet, and you have a paperclip, and you put the paperclip on the magnet, really strong magnet, leave it there for a few seconds. Take the paperclip off, and you can take it and touch other paperclips and pick up a whole bunch of paperclips. Go home and try it, all right? That's what Jesus is saying here. He's the magnet. And if we would experience his life, by being in his love, we will Take some of that magnetism, if you will, and be able to be attracted to other people, people that you wouldn't normally be attracted to, that you wouldn't want anything to do with, that you might even be repelled by. But suddenly you can see that they're made in the image of God, and God wants something more for them than what they're living. And so you'll even chance looking like an idiot and telling them about Jesus so that they might find the freedom and life that you found. That's all here, as I have loved you. Since I've loved you this way... Then you can love one another. And by this, verse 35, the world will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. Now, this is the defining mark. It's not bumper stickers. It's not fish. It's not doves. Those are symbols of our faith. But this is the defining mark. Love shown, displayed, not talked about, actually doing it. Doing something to show love for another person. Now, there are two people here that in the story, Peter and Judas, that are on opposite ends of the magnet, the poles, north and south, okay? They are completely different, even though both of them think of themselves as disciples. Judas never gave his heart away. Judas was there for three and a half years. He watched miracles. I mean, astounding miracles, water to wine, dead people raised to life. He was right there. When the guy 38 years couldn't walk, Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. He watched people be healed of leprosy, digits returned to their hands and their toes, no doubt, and it never moved him to surrender to Jesus. He was just looking at the politics. Danger. <laughs> Peter is there also, and Peter allows himself to love. Famous quote by C.S. Lewis, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Oh, I don't like that word, vulnerable. Vulnerable, transparent. Let people see who you really are. If you love anything, Lewis said, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, then you must never give your heart to anyone, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket, <laughs> a coffin of your own selfishness. There's a pretty picture. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, your heart will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. But if you would love Jesus... He will change your heart. 1 Corinthians 13, right? Love is patient and kind. Love doesn't seek its own. Love is not selfish. 
Love refuses to respond negatively. Love refuses to reject. Love doesn't demand conditions. This is agapos, agapos. This is the Greek word for love that is giving away. It's going that way. We say we love stuff and we mean this way. God says, love this way. Love here. As I have loved you, how did he love us? Laid down his life. Wow. Can't do it by just trying harder. You got to surrender. Last section, failure. Simon Peter said, Lord, where are you going? He's still back there. Missed the whole love thing. He's focused on Jesus leaving. Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. That's what he should have heard. Jesus is saying, I'm going to get you to heaven. That's what this word is. It's Titus 3.5. He is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before your heavenly Father, blameless. That's God's job. If you and I will surrender, he will get us there. That's what he's saying. Peter, Peter's stuff is coming. There's a betrayal. There's denial coming. It's going to get crazy. It's going to be a storm. Stuff will be rattling around but I'm going to get you through it. You'll be with me in heaven. That's a statement. But Peter's not listening. Peter says, Lord, why can I not follow you now? Verse 37. I will lay down my life for you. Peter is um, pretty confident in his own ability, and he so wants to do it his way, he's willing to tell God what to do. None of us have ever done that in this room, I'm sure. Wanted it my own way so bad that I told God how we should fix this thing. We call it prayer. <laughs> Often it's just manipulation. God, I think it'd be really good if you would do this and this and this. And God's not into taking advice. Have you noticed? He's about ready to find that. See, Peter has closed himself off to the truth. Jesus is dispensing truth, but his filter is on. It's real narrow. It's real tight. I want to go where you're going. See, Peter thinks he's going to Greece or, you know, Italy or something or Spain. The, the Jews have rejected Jesus, so he's going to go somewhere else. I'm going to go with you, Lord. Well, that sounds good. I want to serve you on my terms. Mm. Love as I have loved you. How did he love us? He laid down his life for us. You mean I got to lay down my life, Pastor? You're saying I got to die? Yeah. Yeah, that's the gospel. That unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it can't bring forth life. Paul said, I die daily. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. This is all about dying. Come and die. Die to your own desires. How you want to live your life. Well, I don't want to do that. Of course you don't want to do that. That makes you normal. None of us want to do it. It's just the smart thing to do. It's the wise thing to do. It's the result of seeing the cross, who Jesus is, and what he's done for us. Whew, sure, it's quiet in here. Let's move on to the last verse. Jesus said, will you lay down your life for my sake, Peter? Mm, not so much. Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow until you have denied me three times. Failure is in your future, Peter. Big time failure. You're gonna look like an idiot. You're gonna feel like an idiot. But remember my love. I'm gonna get you through this. I am able. Go back and look at verse 36, where Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. 
You will follow me. You will be there. I'm going to get you through that, Peter. You see, betrayal, failure, denial are not bigger than God. God is able to take all those things in your life and mine and use them for good. Fedor Doltostovic, he's a Russian writer, wrote some amazing works, has been called the greatest novelist ever. Don't know if that's true, but he was really a gifted guy. At 27 years old, he had a crossroads he came to in his life. We'll close with this. He had a defining moment. He was living in 19th century Russia under the Tsar, and he wanted to have democracy come, and so he joined a movement against the Tsar. His best friend betrayed him. He was thrown in prison at 27 years old. In 1849, he would spend eight months in prison. And then after eight months, he's thinking, wow, this is real, a real long sentence for all I did. They come and they let him out of his cell and said, come with us. And they loaded him in a carriage with some other prisoners and they took him outside the city, out into the countryside. And he thought, ah, finally, freedom. And they opened the carriage door and he steps out into an open field with pillars in the ground with chains on them and a firing squad. And they take him over and they chain him to this post. And they bring a... Russian Orthodox priest up with a crucifix asks him to kiss it and then confess his sins. They put a hood over him and they're going to shoot him. It's his own capital punishment party. He's tied to the stake and he hears ready. Click, click, click. Aim. Long silence. And they hear a horse, can't see anything. Here's a horse come up. Horse slides to a stop. The guy jumps off, gives a message, and the captain of the guard said, Fedor, the czar has released you. You have a pardon. That close to being shot. He wrote to his brother these words. If I didn't have to die, I would turn every minute into an age. Nothing would be wasted. Every minute would be accounted for. When I look back on my past and think how much time I wasted on nothing, how much time had been lost in futilities, errors, laziness, incapacities to live, how little I appreciated it, how many times I sinned against my heart and soul. God, my heart bleeds. Life is a gift. Life is happiness. Every minute can be an eternity of happiness if you would allow God to have your heart. It starts with his love invading your life and then his love going out of your lives into others. If you've not yet made that commitment, don't leave until you have. And with that, we've made it through the first 13 chapters of John. We'll see what's coming up next in just a moment. This is Grow in Grace, and our teacher is Pastor Ed Ray. If you'd like the CD, which contains the complete and uninterrupted message, call us today at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. You can also listen to the program online at thepackinghouse.org. And again, we're at thepackinghouse.org. 
We're thankful to the Lord for this opportunity to share his word over the radio. And maybe this is a ministry you'd like to support. This would be a wonderful time to hear from you. And we'll say thanks by sending you The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. This is a classic devotional that has moved the hearts of believers for well over a century. Each chapter focuses on one attitude of God, from God's infinitude to his immutability, grace and goodness. I think you'll find it to be both theologically rich and approachable. Again, we'll send you the knowledge of the holy when you give a gift of any amount to grow in grace. Just call us right now at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. And if you wouldn't mind in the next day or two, send off an email to let us know you're listening and what you're getting out of the present series in John. It's encouraging to hear how God is at work through Grow in Grace. Let us know what the Lord is doing in your life when you email us at packinghouseradio at aol.com. As promised, here's a peek into our next study. Heaven is, number one, a place. It's not some metaphysical concept out there in the ozone, in the ether layer. No, it's a place. Heaven is a path. It's a course. It's a a way to go. And heaven is through a person. Join us for a look into our heavenly home next time on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship. Son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, Let this world know me by your love.